Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the OXS Jamaica podcast, Reasonings with Odessa, episode five. Random dem dem da. Have you seen this one? Well, you seen it now. Boom, bam, bam, now. It's another one. No apologies. Just at least under my microphone. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, hey. I sounded a bit weird. <laughs> anyway, I'm back. I'm happy to be back. I took a very, very, very long pause, guys, and I'm really sorry about that. I complained about that in um, episode two, and I vow that I will not do it again. I vow, I, Odessa, vow that I'll be more consistent doing Reasonings with Odessa podcast. Now, I was still recording and doing interviews with people, but I just haven't happened to put it out yet. So, um, you're going to see a lot more from me and, um, anyway, let's just get into what I'm drinking because you know, Reasonings with Odessa is always about little drinky poos. So I'd like to pick up my sponsor for this episode, Apothic Wine, which I'm sipping on currently. And also Ray Nephew White Rum, which guys, come on, I'm not an alky. I'm not sipping on both of them at the same time. But I was sipping on my white rum when I was doing my interview with this episode's special guest, Mr. Akala. So let's get into Rants and Raves first because there's so much to talk about. Let's get to it. Women in reggae and dancehall. Well, no, not my reggae ladies, specifically my dancehall ladies. What? Like, this has been bugging me for like a few months now. Like, but what is your obsession of your pussy being clean? I mean, there's a surge of songs out there from our fellow dancehall queens talking about my pussy clean, yes, my pussy clean, bragging about it. Like, like this is madness. It just, it's crazy, ladies. Like, because you have a JJ, your pussy, your vagina, your pum pum. It's supposed to be clean, ladies. It's supposed to be clean, tight, right. So I honestly, I don't understand why I brag about it. Like, it's nuts. And you know, this is why I think there's a surge of fresh new female acts out there who are just doing so well, such as Coffee, such as Savannah, such as Jane, Magismo, Naomi Cowan, Leela IK, to name a few, and um, Jay Lee's as well, who's fresh on the scene. I mean, like, they are putting out material that speaks so much more than sex and not taking people man. Yeah. Taking people man is another conversation that we need to talk about another time. But, you know, not to say that some of these songs from our dancehall queens aren't cool and they're not fun, but come on, ladies, come on. We need different, different subject matters. And I know there's so much more to you guys than that. Okay, guys, I told you I was MIA, but that didn't stop me catching up with a lot of people who are influencers and influencers of the mind. And one of our generation's best minds is Akala. And I was so honored to catch up with him. So let's check out this reasonings with Akala. (laughs) 
right. This is Reasonings, and I'm really, really honoured and happy that I'm, I can talk with my hardcore English accent right now. <laughs> I'm here with uh, activists, because I know him as an activist first, hip-hop, rapper, amazing brother, Akala. Welcome. Bless up, sis. Well, you good? Good day, man. I crawled yeah. out of my bed. <clears throat> yeah, I hear Crawled out of my bed for this, because yeah, I know you're a busy man. No, I'm going to a school in a bit, so uh, just, you know... Go. What are you going to the school to do? Um, they do a series of aspirational talks um kind of looking at i suppose career paths really and ways in which to turn creative endeavors and different kinds of endeavors um into ways to cover your cost of living to, to you know to put it bluntly so you know i'm gonna go and talk about being a writer and an artist and some of the steps that i took of that nature so we have to run off today and then i'm back to back to the uk my flight <laughs> my flight is at 5 p.m i'm home for like <laughs> well home i'm back in the uk for like four or five days and it looks like, we're just finalising it's there, but it looks like I'm going to have to come right back and go Trinidad. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, nice and not nice. The jet lag is going to be <laughs> immense. But, um, yeah. So you're in Jamaica. You're in Jamaica for the British Council, Walking Cities, and you were doing this project with my brethren, Marlon James. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I, I came to, for that and I came for, for Calabash. Right. But we'll, talk, we'll talk about the Walking Cities first. The Walking Cities is a documentary film, short documentary film, about cities. So two writers link up in a city, Bogota, Delhi, wherever it may be. Um, one local and one foreigner. Yeah. So I was the I was the foreigner. The foreigner even though even though I'm a British Jamaican, <laughs> exactly. I um I um you know, I grew up in London. I didn't grow up in Kingston. So obviously Marlon's wealth of knowledge and insight uh, and, and feelings as not just a Jamaican but as a Kingstonian mm -hmm. um, are quite different, even though um he he moved to Kingston. And so um I think it was from Portmore. Portmore, yeah. yeah. So, thought, yeah. so, um, so we just walked, literally walked around the city, you know, went to Culture Yard, went to Duke Street, went downtown, and just literally spoke about the history of Kingston, the, the, the things foreigners probably don't know about Kingston, right. the side of Jamaica people don't get to see, the class and, you know, colour distinctions that are still, still are, are still very much prevalent mm -hmm. in Jamaican society, all of that kind of stuff. All right, that's nice. Now, you came for Calabash to mm. launch your memoir. Is it a memoir? Well, no, it's not really a... It's not really <laughs> they keep a, saying a memoir. Yeah, it's not really a memoir. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a politics and history book, but it uses the device of episodes from my own life to look at how these big political historical forces I talk about manifest mm -hmm. in individuals' lives. So, first time I got searched by the police, I was 12, which is illegal Where and was that? entirely normal. In London, near my house. Um... They're not supposed to search you nope. unless you have an adult with you. Exactly. And they're supposed to read you your rights and that kind of... But it's very normal for a young, black, young black brother yeah, yeah. In, in, in London. So it talks about how, you know, the consequence of a narrative that portrays black people as innately criminal, mm -hmm. how does that manifest in the life of an individual? It means that we can have a situation where 12-year-olds are getting searched by the police because the police think they can break their own laws when it comes to these people, because these mm -hmm. people are criminal, therefore the laws don't apply to mm -hmm. them. And so it does things like that. You know, I got put in a special needs group for kids who don't speak English, even though I was reading Lord of the Rings at home. <laughs> you know, That's madness. Mm, I know, and, and it's, it was fascinating, because obviously for my mum, my mum's white, a lot of my... I mean, luckily for her, not luckily, but when she was kicked out of the home for getting with my dad, because mm -hmm. her English dad, she's half Scottish, half English, was not very happy about her getting with a black guy. She was basically adopted by a family of Guyanese socialists. Wow. And so what that meant was 
by the time I was born, my mum had a certain understanding, understanding of what it's like. How her son being racialized as black would shape his life. Right. So when I got put in a special needs group, my mum wasn't surprised. Right. She understood that black people in Britain had been functionally and deliberately undereducated. Do you, do you think it's not? I, do you think it's up to me? I think it's it's worse on the black male growing up in the UK than the women. I think well, it's a system that they've deliberately actually made for black young men to fail. Yes, but also I'm I'm not a woman, so I don't want to comment on women's realities. But also what, what's complicated about Britain is that unlike America, Britain, most of the poor people in Britain are not black. In London, the working class is overwhelmingly black. Mm -hmm. And there's no doubt that there are specific racist things that are done to black people in Britain that mm -hmm. are not done to others. However, one of the fascinating things about America that I think for black Americans in particular is, is a fascinating society to study. Because most of the people living on council estates are white. Yeah. Do they behave any better? No. <laughs> is there a lack of drug addiction in the east Same of Glasgow? Thing. Is there? Are there not problems? With, in fact, London last year was the eighth most violent city in Britain. There were seven cities. More I, don't, I tell people this all the time, and they don't understand. They like just white think boys on badness, yeah, like shooting, stabbing, yeah. drug dealing, it's, like it's all a the stuff thing. that is supposed to be. Even in London, if you go to Broadwater Farm. The two white, every so-called black gang, there'll be two white boys it's, in the gang. Exactly. Like, it's always been like that, though. Of course, but, but, but because in Britain, because we didn't have formal apartheid, Britain exported apartheid everywhere else, but didn't have apartheid in Britain. What it meant was the race-class dynamics are much more complex, where a white you, who lives on Angeltown Estate, yeah. who sounds like he's a bit Jamaican... He's they not, all sound Jamaican. No, but exactly, he's not being fake. It's like... <laughs> it's, it's how he grew up. Exactly, it's ex like expecting a Chinese Jamaican to not sound Jamaican. I, I, I had a person called Raymond who we mm. grew up in my estate, mm. Mount Hill Gardens in Streatham. Mm. Raymond used to knock the door, and you'll see, like, a shadow. And I swear to God, if you, you say, who that? Open the door. You say, who is it? A rear man, man, open the blood clot door and you swear it's a white man, I mean a black man. And when mm. you open the door and see this skinny yeah, white, little yeah. white man, you, 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 you're, you're gobsmacked. But Raymond, he grew up with his neighbours next door to him were Jamaican. Mm -hmm. And he said that that family showed him more love than his white family. Mm. And they basically adopted him and he grew up basically. Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Exactly as a Jamaican. There, there are... This is the funny thing. There are actually numerous examples of that. There's an older dude in my, in my neighborhood who had exactly the same problem. His, his, his family was basically a really fractured, you know, poor family. Mm -hmm. And he ended up being raised by a... You know, Jamaican grandmother. Yeah. So he's a middle-aged white guy, yeah. bald head, looks. I met him in the gym, you know, <laughs> massive dude, strong dude, and he looks what we would say a racist guy. Yeah. Looks like barred, bit mean looking, and he proper. Every time I go to the gym, he'll try and make friends with me. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm going for this man here, like, like, why is he being so friendly? And then eventually, after we finally made friends, I realized it was me kind of being standoffish yeah. for no reason. Yeah. It came out that basically he was raised by a Jamaican grandmother. So it's not really even his fault. He will see man them yeah. and feel more affinity for, yeah. for black people in yeah. a way because that's who but he is. But that's how he is. And that's the same thing with Raymond. Raymond don't date no white woman. No, no, no. He's straight. It's a straight black man. But he's just white. Well, cu culturally. Culturally, and, yeah. And he doesn't... I swear to God, like, everything that's coming out of his mouth, his mannerisms, his everything, it's not like he was trying mm. to be black. It was exactly... To, it was just him. And I think that's what London, well, Britain anyway, and the major cities, it's hard for people who didn't grow up there to understand, A, the impact 
Caribbean culture has had on everyone, mm -hmm. and B, the, the, the race class dynamics are just a bit more complex than America because you've got poor neighbourhoods that are multi-ethnic. Well, the reason why I say that is because a lot of the problems that affect black people in Britain, they, one of the ironies is the British government tries to pretend they don't affect poor yeah, white people. Yeah. And in a weird way, by focusing on black, when they say black-on-black -black violence in London, even if the person dying is, is mixed or whatever else, so what's the violence in Manchester? What's the violence in Glasgow? What's the violence in Belfast? All of which are more violent than London. Exactly. And there's hardly any black people in those places exactly. except Manchester. Um, and so in a way, the problems that we're talking about are problems of the black poor. Black doctors' kids ain't killing each no. other. You know, black lawyers' kids are... If, if, I've got a Bridgen, a Zimbabwean Bridgen. His family's wealthy. He grew up in Richmond. His mannerisms are not the mannerisms of a hood you because no. he grew up in Richmond. No, and, and my friend, my friend of mine doesn't. My friend of mine didn't get that. A mate of mine called you know Michi one. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah, Michelle, yeah. I have a friend called Aneku. She was at that time a professional black polo player, the only first professional black polo player. She's Nigerian. She lives in England. She doesn't know <laughs> our life. Yeah, not precisely. Yeah. And she's upper class. Michi didn't get it, mm. and I'm like, Bredrian, that's just how she is. That's mm. her. That's her liberty. That's how she mm. grew up. Yeah, it's but not put on. We need to realize that blackness and is not about poverty. No, it's not. Many and it's not about street. Yeah, of course it's not. That's not black culture. There, there are many f black cultures, plural. Mm -hmm. Middle class black people, upper class black people, Nigerians, Ghanaians, even in Nigeria, Igbo and Yoruba and Aosa. Right. There are multiple black cultures, mm -hmm. and what happens when you grow up in a majority white country? The I, prime example with Jamaicans. Celine Dion is a goddess here. Yeah. Among British Jamaicans, she's a nobody. No, we don't get it. Because one of the reasons is we're like, you, but ironically, growing up in a, in a majority white, where, you, where you're a racialized minority, you become a bit more defensive about your culture. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to listen to their white people mm -hmm. music there. Like, it becomes a bit like that. Um, whereas when you're at home and you are the majority and your culture is dominant, you're like, well, if I like it, you, I like it. Yeah, if you, I like uh, you don't want to hear... They don't want to hear their own thing because that's what they're used to. Because it's the norm. Yeah. Um, and so I think that Britain's race-class dynamics, which is what I've written about in the book, is mm -hmm. called race and class in the ruins of empire. I think often by ignoring the class analysis, ironically, black people can end up coming to conclusions that are slightly anti-black conclusions, i.e. we take the problems of poor black people, which are problems they have in common with all poor people, mm -hmm. and we say those are black problems as if their melanin exactly. causes the violence, exactly. as if their melanin causes the lack of education. When actually, when you look at the data, poor black kids in Britain are actually doing slightly better in school than those of us who are, quote-unquote, mixed heritage or fully, or, or fully white. Mm -hmm. um, and this has caused a big, you know, stir in the right-wing press. The West African kids in particular, who are the blackest of ah, the black children, ah, are doing you very know, well in then you know, auntie and mama will not allow those things. It's, their upbringing is education, 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 but, education. But so would a middle-class Jamaican... If a middle-class Jamaican now, mm -hmm. so someone whose parents went to UWE, mm -hmm. moves to England... Their children would be brought up with the same, you must get a degree. You must. When I talk to my uptown Bridgens, mm -hmm. whose family... Mm -hmm. So, again, we're not comparing like for like. Mm -hmm. It's no surprise that a middle-class Ghanaian, which most of the Ghanaians who've come to England, left Ghana with degrees mm -hmm. and were educated people. Mm -hmm. It's no surprise that they're pro-education. Just as if you go talk to someone... I've got friends from here who wanted to be artists or creatives, and their parents are like, no, man, you forgot, you forgot uni and... Get, yeah, you know, lawyer, doctor... Lawyer. Right. That kind so it's of the thing. same middle-class aspirations. Mm -hmm. Again, if we have no class analysis, what ends up happening is we compare a poor Jamaican to a wealthy Ghanaian, and we say, well, the Jamaican is anti-educated. No, a poor Ghanaian <laughs> in Ghana who hasn't gone uni, who hasn't had the same access, in all likelihood... I mean, how would you have the aspiration for your children to become a lawyer if you don't know any lawyers? It's true. Um, and so I think it's... I think it's 
often very, very similar dynamics. The difference is the majority of the Caribbean population in Britain is now fourth, fifth generation. Yeah. The West Africans are first generation. generation yeah. And that means that their mum, rather than their grandmother or their great-grandmother, is the one saying, yo, you must go uni, you must get a job, you must respect your elders. Traditional kind of um, African-centred morality. And it, so it should be no surprise that they're doing better. They are excelling. You, they're excelling in, mm. in everything. But Britain doesn't like it. Oh, well. <laughs> Music now. Yes. Carla the rapper. Yes. When did you get into hip hop? When you fall in love there, with hip hop? There's never, I can't remember a time when I wasn't into it. My stepdad and my real dad were both DJs. Um, so I grew up, even though I was six, when Fear of a Black Planet came out. You know, or maybe seven when NWA came out. your favorite album? Out. No, uh, because when you're that young, it's your parents' music. Mm -hmm. So I loved it and I ingested it and I learned the words, but it wasn't really until I became a teenager, you know, in the mid 90s. And I, I really grew up on Nas, Jay-Z, Biggie, mm -hmm. Pac, that whole era, Lauryn Hill. Um, all of that became my own hip-hop mm -hmm. that I went out and bought for myself and I discovered separate from my parents. Right. When you grow up in a really musical family, there's like almost a war. Like, so when I was a teenager, I kind of rebelled against reggae music. Now I would say 70s reggae is one of the greatest periods of, of, of music history ever, full mm -hmm. stop, not just Jamaica, in the world. But as a teenager, it was kind of like, I grew up on that stuff so hard. <laughs> that you just that now I listen to Dennis right that, now. Well, that was yeah. me and African music. That was yeah. me and my dad trying to push Fela and push Miriam Akiba and all of that stuff on right. me. And I was like, no, public mm. enemy for me. That was just yeah, my no. thing. So mm. I get it. For sure. So it's, I think a lot of that, um, you know, me and my sister always used to write songs together. And my whole teenage years, I was writing lyrics. And I never really had a period where I wasn't into writing. Um, and then, you know, I released my first mixtape in 2004 independently, first album in 2006. Now I've got six albums, you know, I've been, we've been running an independent label since 2004. Haven't put out a little What's bit... What's the name of, of the label? It was called Ill Estate, which is sort of the first four albums, mm -hmm. and now it's Immovable, which is more of a creative hub, not just for music, but for books and, and TV as well. Because um, I've, I've self-published four books before this book here that I did on The Big Publisher. Are you looking to... to to sign authors and, and other people for your label um, from, um, from globally, not just in the UK, but around the world? Have you seen any talent here in Jamaica? That you eventually, I think it's just a case of access to capital. I think we're at a stage where we, you know, have been able to manage to a certain degree, you know, relative success for myself. It's now expansion. You have to make more money. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so if you want to sign people and distribute and all those yeah. kind of things, you just have to, you know, and we're definitely work. That's definitely part of the business plan. So we're finally at a stage where we're starting to, put a lot of that apparatus um, together. We just produced a couple of TV shows. Um, one was a theatre version of my graphic novel, The Ruins of Empires, which went on BBC Two. Okay. And another was a documentary about the ancient Greek poem, Homer's Odyssey. Um, and so we're working on a few little more bits and pieces. I got a, a young adult fiction set in Shakespearean England. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, it's about Shakespeare, the African mistress. And yes, just I, no one I, talks read, about I, it, right? I read about that. Yeah, so I'm writing about that, that, that um, a fiction set in that period. Um, so that's what mainly what I'm working on at the moment. Going to put some new music out next year. And so you're always just trying to find a balance between music, politics, doing, going to school to chat to young people, and, um, and, and, you know, just trying to be as creative in as many endeavours as possible, like, you know, books and, and film and whatever else. What's your favourite thing about being a Jamaican? I think what I love about Jamaica is the audacity and the confidence. But for you, what no, 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 but I'm saying it for me, yeah. it's that. In the sense that a, 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 a Jamaican, you know, and I, I mean this with the greatest of respect, right, but like a, 
a Jamaican man on the road with no teeth left in Iron Mark yeah. will walk up to the crisis girl he's ever seen. And me a star Like that sort of mentality. I've made a business for them. Like, I have the right to walk up to the most beautiful woman in the world, even if I've got one tooth in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and, and chat. Like, when I come to Yard, right, it's the only place where a man will chat to my, to my, to my missus, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm happy for it. Yeah. In the sense that a man will be so charming yeah. and almost say, like, Regin, you know, you're my nice, you know. And like, it's almost, it's not a disrespect. It's almost more like a big up. Like, yeah, it they're is. Not, they're not, like, they're not crossing the line. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's that audacity of confidence. And I didn't realise how much I took that for granted. As a youth growing up, listening to Gregory and Dennis and, and Bob and just the idea that you could be a star was just seen as normal because... There were so many Jamaicans, Jamaicans that, that exactly that had this. I mean, the audacity of an island with you know now free, but originally you know two million people to sort of impact global culture the way it has. And so politics do you think that and, gives you a little bit of a bravado that's giving you? Everybody loves McDonald's fries, so yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Entirely. I mean, I grew up watching Sting and Ninja Man and Sound Clash. And, and if you watch most British grime artists or hip-hop artists perform, especially those of us of Jamaican heritage, there is a very bounty killer, yeah. Beanie Man, Capleton Is it, it Skepta or, or Stormzy? Which one of them is, like, obsessed with Ninja Man? Is one of those artists I don't know. But exactly, but they're West African, but <laughs> yeah. they, they, they've, they've been brought up on it. And so I think Jamaica just has a... Has a I mean, it has many, many problems, many, many challenges, but there is, a, there is an audacity, which is how Marlon put it, and I'll put it the same way, of Jamaicanness. Um, that, that is, is just... And the decency, you know, there's a side of Jamaica that people in Britain are completely ignorant of. Mm-hmm. The sort of nerdy, you know, girl wins an international spelling bee and becomes mm-hmm. a national star. This sort of balance of being the ultimate kind of... Yeah, the Jamaican bad man exists, mm-hmm. but the Jamaican nerd exists. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily two different people. No, it's the same, because you still have a little bit of badness in R- you. Right, everyone has it. I don't, I don't make... One of the things I write about in the book, I don't make judgment of... Obviously, people do very, very bad things. And obviously, when you cross a certain line, there's punishments and there's things in place. Mm-hmm. However, I don't presume that I'm innately moral and they're bad. In the sense that when I was a teenager, I started making certain bad decisions. Yeah. And I was like, fine, once I was, got a bit older, I had the equipment to make better decisions and, and, and luck. But I, I moved here because I could see myself becoming that corrupt in the UK. Exactly, yeah. And Jamaica just brought me back yeah. to being a desert. Because there's a respect here for intelligence. Yeah. I don't think people would understand unless they lived in Britain. There's like sort of this contempt. Don't be too clever. Don't be a teacher's mm-hmm. pet. Don't don't get above your station. The class system in Britain is so strong. Probably in a way, even though Jamaica is a poor country and there is a, definitely a massive class hierarchy and there's definitely a color coded, mm-hmm. you know, high color, low color, uptown, downtown. All of those distinctions are here. In a way, it's still a sense that even if you're poor, you should try and be bright. Mm-hmm. You should strive to do well in now school. No, I love bright picnics. You know what I mean? Now go to class and yeah. mess, up, mess up your lessons, you know what I mean? Everyone loves when kids excel in exactly. school. Common entrance just happened and it's the biggest thing and everybody is just so happy, so overwhelmed. Pre- like, precisely. The kids are doing well at school. Hold on, I must but get to right behind you. When you contrast <laughs> that with how Jamaicans are perceived in Britain, it's fascinating to me. Like, a lot of these fourth-generation black English kids who come from Jamaica need to come back more. Yeah. Because they've, they've internalised this idea that it's kind of cool to be dumb. Yeah. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play down yeah. my intelligence in case anyone thinks I'm the teacher's pet. Yeah. And it's, it's actually, that's very un-Jamaican. It is. And, and what I love about Jamaica is that balance of, yeah, cool, if, if, you, if you take it too far, a man might do you something. Exactly. But at the same time, no, man, go school, get yeah. your classes, get your lessons, you know, respect your grandmother, respect those, those balances of, of, of hot and cold, of fire and water. 
is 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 what I think is a really um. It's just really uniquely, very stereotypically Jamaican, except only the the perceived negative parts of the stereotype have made their way into mainstream British uh, press, whereas the positives, an island that could produce Marcus Garvey and Bob Marley and Usain Bolt and, and all of this kind of... You just always be that audacious is is, is seen in very one-dimensional one terms in Britain. I'm the coolest culture in the world, I'm sorry. No, 100%. I just think we're the coolest culture. No, 100%. Because of that audacity, because of that, um, you know, sense of I can do whatever I want, Hold on, I'm I'm just thinking this is gonna be a break and it's gonna get cut and it's gonna get cut. And it's gonna get cut. Yeah, go on. Alright, who in music in, in in reggae music? I know you love the seventies, mm -hmm. but low, like dance hall is a predominantly young culture. It's still your generation, my generation. Who in dance hall music are you feeling right now? Um well obviously there's 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 um there's the Classics, you know, I'm a bounty killer man to the heart. Like, <laughs> growing up in the 90s, for me, bounty killer is one of the top 10 lyricists, including all the Americans. Like, if I did my top 10 rappers, quote unquote, Bounty, bounty would be in there with Nas and well, Pac. What is and it that, about bounty killer? Just the, just the level of intelligence. You know, you, you look, you think about tunes like Poor People Fed Up and Look and, and, and just the lyricism, the combination of brilliant intellectual analysis of the class dynamics of Jamaica, of the critique of the government, you know, social, political analysis, along with rhythm and flow and, and mm. melody and all of that that makes Bounty Killer unique. I, I would say that, you know, for me, the... Um, for me, you know, I'm not going to lie, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people... I, I'm not as judgmental of what we would call slack. Mm -hmm. I think there's a place for everything. No, slackness um, is a part of our culture. Precisely. So I did... I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Movado over, over vibes... You know, if, if, I, if I had to pick between the two, I don't want to make it a competition. But, but, but I, I, I would, I would pick no. Movado. Um, but of the new generation, I really, I'm really enjoying, obviously, the, the kind of reggae renaissance, you know, the most obvious of which would be Chronics. But, you mm -hmm. know, I, I did a tune with Kabaka, mm -hmm. um, Jesse Royal, Janine. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. That's, that's what I mean about yeah. Jamaica, is that the same island that can have Movado and Vibes can have... Chronics and Janain and Jesse Royal and, and Quebec and Pyramid. And all those artists actually have so much respect for each other and everybody. The thing I love about Jamaica is that no one looks down on dancehall music really to that. Dancehall is everybody. Your granny's dancing mm. to dancehall. The kids are dancing oh, to dancehall. that's good. I thought there was still sort of a... And no, yeah. you know, you have the dancers music like Ding Dong mm. and that kind of thing. Dancehall is still a Jamaican yeah, thing. No, and it is. And I think, I think every culture has an engagement with violence and sex and, and things that are seen as a, a bit morally risky. Mm -hmm. One of the problems, again, what we do as black people is if we represent just that element of black culture as black culture and then we say, oh, black culture is negative or it glorifies violence, the murder ballad, as Marlon pointed out to me actually last week, mm -hmm. the murder ballad is a European invention. They've been singing murder ballads for 200 years. Mm -hmm. You know, Korean revenge cinema, a man cut his wife's head off mm -hmm. and put it in the fridge. It's cinema. Mm -hmm. What we've got to engage with is why human beings find violence and sex, which are part of life, part of the human condition, entertaining. None of that is unique to Jamaica. And I think it becomes problematic when we're like, oh, they're my slack and this is conscious and, and we make too much of a division. Critique culture by all means. Mm -hmm. But um, but sort of acting like Jamaica has some unique monopoly on the glorification of violence or the or, or, or overt expressions of sex is literally just nonsense. That exists everywhere in the world. The difference is Jamaican culture has been so impactful, more people see it. Right. But you like I said, all well, the Well the violence the violence side has been more impactful to me from media through media's eyes, because mm. everybody that comes there to shoot, 
it's always like some shotter's thing or something, you know, yeah, top, that... top Boy or whatever's here. They're doing another, they're doing a Jamaican edition. It's it's going to be about drugs and violence. Again. People, as, 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 again, I'm quoting quote, Mobra Jamalan just because we did such a good interview. <laughs> and I thought we put so many things fascinating, right? He said, no one's interested in the Jamaican middle classes because we're the boring class. We're not the upper class kind of pl- plantation owner yeah, legacy yeah. and nobody's shooting us. Right. So the life of the average but Jamaican... There's, but there's so much stories in No, that's toys. my point. But the problem is not that the ghetto stories exist. Those stories have to exist yeah. because that's people's reality. The problem is there's not enough stories that are not... Even in the ghetto, there are... Most people in the ghetto don't shoot nobody. No. So there needs to be more stories that are just about the ordinary you in the hood. People, yeah. But But... The ordinary you and the trials and tribulations, it just needs to be a broader representation of the culture, not a deletion of... The reality is a lot of people get shot here. But it only actually occurs in about five places on the island. Mm-hmm. The rest of the island is actually very, very safe. Mm-hmm. And so there just needs to be a broad enough palette of a representation of Jamaican life, the way that there is in Britain or the way that there is in America. There are loads of British gangster films. But because there are loads of films about Mozart, even though Mozart's not British, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like British people appreci- appreciate Mozart or Shakespeare mm-hmm. or, 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 or The Queen or whatever else. There's a whole balance and range of British co- films like Notting Hill or Four Weddings and a Funeral. Mm-hmm. There's such a range of, 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 of British cultural representation. No one needs to worry that Guy Ritchie films are making white people look bad. No one needs to worry that Italian mafia films are making Italians look bad. Because we all know about Leonardo da Vinci Mm -hmm. and the Renaissance and Michelangelo. Mm -hmm. So it's just we know that that's the mafia. That's not all Italians. Similarly, there's organised crime in Jamaica. Why should that be a surprise? There's organised crime in every country. Everywhere in the world. And it just needs to be, I think, broader um, representations, broader exportation, which there has been with Roots Music. All right, so, Akala, thanks. You know what, we're going to link up next yes, time. Yes, bless up, 100%, gonna, let's do we're, it. We're going to go a bit more in-depth. Yeah, we'll no, do let's it do over it. drinks. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, Wicked. all right. Good bless to up. see you. Bless thanks. up, bless up, bless up. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. Now, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and share with your friends on whatever podcast platform that you guys listen on. Don't forget to head over to oaccessjamaica.com to see our past and present stories and follow us on social media, all under the same name, Oaccess Jamaica. Until next time, I'm your host, Odessa. Linkage laters. Going to sip some more wine. Peace. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.